So do you guys remember last week we looked at Luke 11? Remember that? And we talked, we looked at the parable of the friend at midnight. And so I want to read you a verse we looked at last week. Oh, these letters are really small. This is the large print. And it says this, Luke 11, 9, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now listen. Father among you, the son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So Joe came up after the service, knee, and you had that dream a couple of days before. It was actually that night. Too. Oh, that night before the church service. Yeah. So, you know, God's been speaking to us in dreams. And so share the dream that you had. So that's the verse we shared, and the night before he had a dream from God. He had no idea what we were going to be talking on. So share it real quick. So, so it's interesting. So you wake up in the morning, you say, how'd you sleep? How'd you sleep? And about one every four days, we'll say, do you have a dream? And Sunday morning, Stacy said to me, did you have a dream last night? And I go, yeah, interesting you asked. I had a strong dream. And my dream was I was in a Latina's house. I didn't see her, but I knew she was a Latina. And um, I was cleaning her house for some reason, but I was really hungry for something. And I said, can I have an egg? And she said, yeah, even though I couldn't hear, I knew she said yes. And then the next day, so in my dream, it was the next day. And I said, man, I'm still really hungry. I want another egg. Can I have an egg? And I heard, yeah. The Latina said yes. And then I saw a young Latina boy, or Latino boy, and, he, and I looked at him and I said, you want some of this egg too, don't you? And he said, he didn't say anything. He just went like this. And, and, and then I like looked for a fry pan because we have a pan I always cook eggs in. And I couldn't cook it the way I wanted to cook it, but there was this flat skillet thing, and I put the egg on it. And, and frankly, in my dream, the egg went everywhere. But I was able to feed the kid, and he really wanted the egg, and it wasn't the way I wanted to give it to him. And, and so that, that was my dream, and I shared it with Stacy. And then we're sitting here, and Sam opens up to Luke 11 last week, and I opened up my Bible because I don't use my phone. And my eyes immediately fell to the, if you ask for an egg. And I go, boom. <laughs> I have lots of private jokes. Stacy, look where my eyes fell. And so we're, we're giggling right here. And she's like, oh, next, after church, you got to tell me more about your, give me all the details of your yeah. dream. I have to be honest. I kind of went, yeah, 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 agree. Okay. <laughs> I didn't pay a lot of attention until it was like the word egg in the service. Yeah, so Sunday morning, I told her, oh, yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> And, uh, but then in the sermon, she's like, tell me about your dream. A yeah. and, um, and so, okay, well, we're going to talk about it. And then Sam gave a prophecy. So I I'm now trying to be more aware of the, of the next yeah. step. But anyway, it wasn't. It was at a Latina's house. I was cleaning the house. A boy, I offered to make. He really wanted it. I really wanted it. And it wasn't the way I wanted it to yeah. go. And it was kind of messy, but he was fed. So, that's yeah. cool. I mean, that's just... you. That keeps happening, by the way, where people are sharing with me words that. Oh, shut off. Oh, there we go. People have been sharing words 
that they've been getting before Sundays and just confirming sometimes in such specific ways that God is saying these messages are important. What did Jesus say? Some things that he gives us, it is not just because of our friendship with him. It is because of our persistence before him. And that's why on Wednesday nights, it's just going to be an opportunity for us to get online and to just persist week after week. We'll be praying for our world around us, our church family, and our families themselves, our kids and stuff like that. So, But we're going to keep going through Luke. And so we... We were at Luke 11 last week. Now we're going to go look at a section in Luke 12. And it's, Jesus says this, and he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They, they have neither storehouses nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds. And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And if then you are not able to do as smallest thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, um, a lot in a lot of those desert climates, they would actually use grass uh, and just piles of it for their ovens and to bake their food and things, not just wood. How much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we just looked at, and looking at this whole passage, what jumped out at you? What did you notice when you were looking at it? Somebody... I'm sure when you're looking at these different verses, something kind of hits you. Anybody want to share? I think it's a, this is a comforting passage for me because it's so easy. In fact, this, this past week, I, I struggled with fear of the provision and with everything that's happening and swirling around us. But then the Lord brings back and goes, seek first my kingdom. I will add anything that you need. Just trust me. Yeah. So, and so for me, this has been kind of a passage that Cliff and I have Oh, wow. Kingdom, yeah. And his righteousness is infinite to the end. Yeah. Trusting for his, his provision and that really his kingdom is what we were created to, you know, to bring to earth, right? Yeah. We, we're supposed, that is our, that is, that is who we are called to. Yeah. So that's, that's what jumped out. Oh, that's good. Anyone else? What else jumped out at you? Yeah. the sheer value that he places on you. And you know how much you'll do for your own kids. And yet we think somehow that God is not infinitely more than that. What else jumps out at you and just what we looked at in these passage? 
Anything else? I like the verse that the Father knows that you need him. Yeah. And just because sometimes when we pray, we feel like, okay, there are a few things that you need to know. <laughs> he knows that we need him. He, oh, we pray not to get his attention. We pray because we have his attention. It's really true. Yeah. Well, that works out great. You get it twice. <laughs> I think so. Oh, that's cool. So he says in verse 22, and he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious. Remember, this is written in Greek. It's a little verb called merimnao, about your life, what you will eat, fear, nor about your body, what you will put on. And then 10 verses later, he says, fear not. Phobeo, little flock. So he gives the two commands. These are actually imperatives. Do not worry and do not fear. Both verbs are what we call present in, in Greek and in English too. You have past tense, present tense, future tense, right? And some others. These are present tense and commands, present tense imperatives. That implies a continuous action. What that means is Jesus is saying this needs to be a constant attitude in your life. Not just something you try every now and then. But what does it mean to be anxious? What does it mean to fear? The first word, anxious, this Greek verb, it means to worry, to be concerned about, to be anxious about. What is anxiety? It's unease, right? You guys have all had it. It's distress. It's unease in your mind by a fear of danger, a fear of loss, a fear of misfortune, something bad's going to happen. What's, what is phobeo? It means to be afraid or to fear or to be terrified. It's not just unease, it's a distressing emotion. You feel an impending danger. You feel impending loss, impending pain. Now that threat often is not real, it's imagined. Sometimes it's real, right? And Jesus prophesied something. Jesus often talked about the present and sometimes he would prophesy about the future. And he said that anxiety and fear will increase in the nations up until the end. He said distress will increase, instability will increase, foreboding will increase. Jesus said people's hearts are literally going to be failing them, especially as the end draws near. They will physically be fainting, overwhelmed with fear. You might as well buy stock in all the pharmaceutical companies that do all the anxiety medication <laughs> because of what Jesus prophesied. <laughs> what did he say? Luke 21. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. Listen to this. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. 
for the powers of heaven will be shaken. That's not usually one of those prophecies that people hold conferences on. Jesus says, though, I've got an approach for you that's the opposite of what the world is going to experience. Jesus said, when you follow me, you are entering a life without anxiety. And, 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 what, and what he's really saying to the disciples, you're not going to be able to fulfill your purpose. You're not going to be able to imitate me if you are so weighed down by worry, so weighed down by fear. He says, listen, I want you to imitate me. So let me give you the tools how to do it. And he doesn't just give two commands. The Lord never just tells you to do something. He always tells you, and then he says, I'm going to show you how to do it. I'm going to give you the ability to do it. And so what he does for the rest of the passage is tell his disciples how to not fear. So what's the next verse? For life is more than food and body more than clothing. Everybody see that? He's giving you the first reason why you don't need to be anxious. And what's the reason? It's simple. He says, physical things, life is way more than food, way more than clothing, way more than possessions, way more than bank accounts. It's more than that. Those things are temporary. They don't even last. To be overly concerned with physical things is literally to miss what life is about. Your life is about relationship with God, period. That's it. When God put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he says, I'm going to give you everything you need. Now, they still had to work, right? He says, I'm going to give you... He set up a context so that day after day, night after night, the sole focus was relationship with him. A wrong focus can lead to anxiety. So what can lead to anxiety? What? What? And that's what Jesus says. Look at the word seek. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. Instead, seek his kingdom. Your focus must be correct. Then he gives a second reason. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? The second reason that Jesus gives to not fear is he says, you are so precious and valuable to him. That's the reason. That's why it's literally impossible for people in the world who do not know God to experience an anxiety-free life. Because not living with anxiety is directly correlates to understanding how valuable you are to him. And Jesus says that God cares for and feeds the ravens. Now, there's a lot of verb 
birds he could have mentioned. Why would he mention ravens? If you look in Old Testament law, ravens are in that class of creatures that's unclean. In Leviticus 11, 13 to 15, these are the birds you are to regard as unclean and not eat because they are unclean. And part of the list is any kind of raven. And interestingly, outside of the Bible, there's other ancient Near, Near East literature. No cultures liked ravens. They all thought they were kind of gross. They were the least respected of birds. And so Jesus is saying, even ravens are that cared for by God. How much more you? What I'm about to do for the next five minutes, I apologize. Because there's something here that when we look at this passage, and yet God feeds them. Everybody say, and yet God feeds them. You know, a lot of people in the church and certainly out of the church, they, re they look at a verse like that, and yet God feeds them. Oh, there's Jesus again, a Middle Eastern guy, uneducated in the first century. He was ignorant, they, he, a pre-scientific view of nature. He didn't understand the way nature works, and so they call it God in the gaps. You just ascribe everything to God because you really didn't have a good scientific understanding. Jesus thought that God was feeding all the birds. And what he didn't understand is that birds and their habitats, their ecosystems, right? If you have a hummingbird, he eats nectar. All the nectars come from those flowers. It's a symbiotic relationship. You guys know what I'm saying? That birds and their habitats are a result of the evolutionary processes of nature. It's not divine intervention where God feeds them, right? Almost go through any school system, and they will look at, and God feeds them and go, oh, Jesus just didn't understand. But is that view right? It's a naturalistic view, which means it's only caused by nature. Now look at birds for a moment. The flight, reproduction, feeding, the design and engineering of birds is unbelievably complex. Unbelievably complex. The bone structure of birds, you know their bones are hollow. You know that when we breathe, we breathe in and out. You know birds have a one-way breathing system. They don't breathe out. Everything is set up for aerodynamics. The complexity of bird is more advanced than the most advanced airplane that Boeing has created. That is true. That is not a false statement. It is any machine that man has created to date is still not as complex as a bird. Whether you go down to the microcellular level, to their bone system, respiratory system, reproductive system. 
Let's think about, let's look at hummingbirds just for a second. I've got a little two-minute video. I, I'm going to show you hummingbirds. So I wanted to show that to you guys. Just to give you, when Jesus says your heavenly father feeds them, he knew exactly what he was talking about. What causes, listen to me, the complex design and engineering of birds for reals. 
What do scientists say literally in every single science class, in every single public school and public university and most Christian universities at this point? That nature caused that. But does nature have a mind? Yes or no? Does nature have a will? Does nature have a purpose? And yet they say that a nature with no mind, no will, no purpose produced birds through evolution. And you might say, well then how? There are only two mechanisms that they say produce birds through evolution. Two. One is called natural selection. You guys all know what that is. Now, natural selection might explain the survival of the fittest. The best body parts will keep going. It does not explain the arrival of the fittest. What do I mean by that? For natural selection to work, the body plan, the body parts, already had to be in place. You understand what I'm saying? So then they say, well, then we also have random genetic mutation. Genetic is just a changing of the DNA coding and the RNA coding. Mutation means change. What is the genetic code? It's, the, it's like an operating system of your iPhone or an operating system that determines trillions, not billions, not millions, trillions of parts of the animal and how those parts develop and how those parts function. It's the most advanced operating system on, in the universe, your genetic code. So what about random changes to that code? Well, the first thing you need to recognize, and this is not in debate, the genetic code is information. It's not gibberish. Information is when you read Shakespeare, right? Gibberish is just nonsense. Where does information come from? There has never been, ever, a time Nobody has ever observed information that does not come from a mind. Ever. Information that does not come from a mind. The second thing, though, is when you randomly change letters, when you randomly change numbers, when you randomly change sequences in code. Anybody do coding for a computer? When you randomly, I mean truly randomly, just change letters, numbers, or sequences, you will never, never get more intelligent code. You will never get better designed code. You will get the opposite every single time. What, imagine you in a, you're typing in Microsoft Word. You put your cursor in the middle of a sentence that's in the middle of a paragraph. You close your eyes and just start hitting letters on the keyboard randomly. Random changes produce gibberish, not information. And that's the only two mechanisms they have to say that nature produced 
hummingbirds. Yeah. By itself, nature cannot be the explanation for how birds reproduce, how birds fly, how birds feed. And if God isn't the one that designed, created, and engineered birds in their habitats, then how on earth did it happen? Nature alone cannot be the reason. So when Jesus says, consider the ravens, and yet your father feeds them, he knew exactly what he was talking about. But what is his point? Are you more valuable to God than ravens, yes or no? How much more valuable are you to God than ravens? Think about it. The more valuable something is, the more you'll take care of it, right? You go to a junkyard and you spend $100 on a car. Are you really going to take that much care of it? You go to a dealership and you spend $100,000 on a Tesla. Is that how much Teslas cost? Or a nice car. Are you going to take care of the $100,000 car more than the $100 car from your junkyard? Yes? So how much more infinitely valuable to God the Father are his children? Next verse, it says this, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? So what's the third reason Jesus gives for not being anxious? Anxiety is what? It's what? It's useless. It's the same thing with anger. You ever know somebody or you ever been that person? You just get mad all the time. You're just grumpy and angry. Have you ever thought, what does that actually accomplish? Think about it. What does it accomplish? If you get mad, ask your kids. Ask your spouse. Ask your friends. Me being mad and frustrated and grumpy, uh, what does that accomplish? It's the same with anxiety. The two, you know, Jesus says this, it can't add a single hour to your lifetime. It can't actually produce anything positive. Now, taking steps to not be anxious, those can be positive, but the in and of itself, the feeling of worry, panic, or anxiety is useless by itself. So what does Jesus say? To not worry, number one, you need to seek God, a right focus on God instead of on things. Number two, a right understanding of your value before God. And number three, a right understanding of how futile anxiety is. But Jesus just doesn't say what not to do. You know, in the passage, he also tells you what you should do. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, 
Even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of what? Say it loudly. That is not a good thing, by the way. You know what anxiety is? It's a lack of faith in God. That's literally what it is. At the core of anxiety, any anxiety, is a lack of trust in him. And it comes down to, do you believe he will care for you? Do you believe he will provide for you? Do you believe he will sustain you? Do you believe he will lead you? If you don't believe that, you will become anxious and fearful. In fact, for me, anxiety is almost like, you know a thermometer tells you if you have a fever or not? Anxiety is a measurement to tell me where I am not trusting in him. Where I am not trusting in him. But it's more than that. It's not just trusting God generally. Jesus narrows it down. And Jesus says, here's where you need to trust me specifically in terms of who am I and how I treat you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So why should you trust God instead of fear all your circumstances? Why? He's gonna, he gives you at least two reasons. First of all, he calls us what? What does it say there? His little flock. Now, this, the idea is not just that it's a group of sheep. That's not what that means. It's a group of sheep that have a shepherd. This, this term flock, it's used a lot of places in Scripture for identifying the people of God. For instance, in Micah 2.12, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture. If you're one of his, you don't need to feel you don't need to fear and feel alone and abandoned. Why? Fear not, little flock. God is saying, I am literally with you the way a shepherd is with the flock. What's the point of a shepherd's job anyways? Provide, protect, and lead, right? What else does a shepherd do? Now, the second thing he says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the what? What does it say there? The kingdom. To give you the kingdom. Basileia means to rule or to reign. That's what it means. But ruling and reigning implies control. If you have no control, you're not ruling anything. You're not reigning anything over anything, right? It implies control. Well, what is anxiety or fear? 
when you feel like your life is out of control, right? Anxiety and fear is even your whole life or a part of your life. Out of control, whether that's finances or family or job or health, it feels out of control. And when when you feel that sense of instability, you feel you you respond to that with anxiety. So God just doesn't address the issue of anxiety. He addresses the issue of instability. He says, your father will give you the what? Kingdom. What does that mean? First of all, Jesus makes it, he reminds you, it is your father's good pleasure. This is not something he wants to, he just has to do. He's not subject to some control outside of himself where he has to do something. It's something he wants to do. Give you the kingdom. What does that mean? I'm going to give, God is literally saying to you, I'm going to take authority over the parts of your life. I'm going to exercise power in parts of, in your life. I'm going to have control over, part, over your life. And sometimes you are going to have to do something. Well, gosh, I look at my circumstances. They seem out of control. That's where faith comes in. Regardless of the way things seem, what is it that you know? You know God is in control and he's giving you the kingdom. He's giving that control and over your life. If it's true that he's in control, if it's true, and believe me, you have no idea how in control he is. Most of what is described in science describes the behavior of something, not the essence of something. Gravity. All the descriptions of gravity in all the textbooks are the behavior of gravity. None of them know the essence of gravity. They have theories. They have guesses. They don't know what gravity is. What is it that is holding the universe together? Could it be that God is literally holding the universe together and is in control? You don't need to be insecure. You don't need to fear. I remember my, Brooke and I, so for years I was working at this company, Power Plus, and this is in the, in the mid-2000s, and I was making, in the, those years, I was making good money. We had a nice, secure life. And in uh, literally one afternoon, one morning or one afternoon, the Lord, the Lord interrupted my wife and I and our family and said, move to Kansas City and join this ministry and this church out there. And we, were, and we, ha, and we needed to be there in six weeks for me to go on staff of this ministry and this church. 
Now, in those days, we didn't have any savings. I, um, when my wife and I had extra money, we just gave it away usually. We just gave it away. I remember when I was young, I read where God said to the Levites in the Old Testament, you guys aren't going to get an inheritance in the land. Your inheritance is the Lord's. And I remember thinking, okay, I'm not, all my investment's going to go straight to God. In that season, that's what I did. So I didn't have any savings. So it was 2008, at December, I think. I, uh, I gave my notice at work, and I got my last paycheck. And in six weeks, we're supposed to be living in Kansas City. That last paycheck, we paid expenses and we paid bills. And I'm broke. My wife had a little travel agency. She made some money, but not enough even remotely to pay for everything. And I didn't have any extra money. I didn't have investments. I didn't have savings. And right after we had made the decision, I gave my notice at work. I got my last paycheck. Brooke ended up going to a travel seminar. And she never would win the uh, gifts and the raffles and all that. But she won this time. Was it for sandals? It's an expensive love language, by the way. <laughs> Flowers are just way cheaper. But I hardly give her those either, so. <laughs> so the Lord's, so she got a, a full paid trip to, for free to Jamaica. All expense paid. And the Lord spoke to her and said, well, if I care for your wants, how much more will I care for your needs? And Brooke told me that, and I was kind of encouraged. So here's what happened. We did go on our trip. But here's what happened. Um, to go, you know, out in Kansas City at this ministry, a lot of the people on staff would do fundraising, like missionaries do fundraising. And I tried. I was a miserable, I, I did not raise any money, none, no supporters. The little letter I sent out to try to raise support was a miserable failure. <laughs> and we had a condominium. We thought, well, we can at least sell the condo and have some money for Kansas City. This is at the end of 2008. Does anybody remember the end of 2008? The value of our condo collapsed. It was worth way less than what we owed. So then I thought, well, at least I can get a renter and go even. We could not find a renter. So I can't sell the condo. We can't find a renter. I haven't raised any support. I don't have a job anymore. 
I do not have enough money for the moving truck to get to Kansas City. I have a family at this point. I don't have money. That's just not enough money for the moving truck. I have no money to live out there. Not for rent, not for food, not for utilities, not for clothes, not for school, nothing. And I'm telling you, I remember waves. I mean, every day that's getting closer to the departure date, my anxiety is going off the charts. I'm already telling God, I'm so happy I get to follow you and go into bankruptcy. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I remember, I literally remember I would be driving and the anxiety would hit me so hard my hands would start shaking and I would having trouble holding the steering wheel. It was physically affecting me. And, and then I'm just all the thoughts of I made the bad decision. A lot of times we justify our anxieties by saying, well, it wasn't God. It wasn't anything else. It was my own decisions. As if God can't handle that. Sorry, God, when I make a decision, you don't care for me and can't handle that. And it, I'm telling you, and I, I'll just be really honest, there's a couple of times I cried all by myself, the overwhelming worry. And then we were supposed to leave in one or two weeks from that point, and we had a going away party at Brooke's parents' house, at Craig and Maria's house, and a lot of people came. And I had just decided at that point, I'm not going to talk about the money situation. And at this point, you know, it is what it is. And so my boss, my old boss came up to me, and I had never, I intentionally did not send him my fundraising letter. I intentionally did not ever even hint that I was having financial issues. He had been really gracious to me in the past. It just felt it would have been inappropriate, and so I did nothing. He had no idea at all. And at, the, at this going away party, I think we're supposed to leave in about a week at this point. At the going away party, he walks up to me, and he says, hey, Sam, how are you doing about money? And here's what I told him. Oh, I'm doing fine. <laughs> I didn't want to talk with him about my money. And he said, oh, really? He said, okay. He said, I want you to know I was praying last night, and I felt like God told me to give you some money. I said, oh, that's cool. I'm really trying to downplay it. Now, I'm thinking he's going to hand me a couple of hundred dollars. That's what I'm thinking. And he goes, God gave me a dollar amount last night. And I said, oh, cool. And he pulls out a check for $24,000. A week before we're supposed to leave, and he hands it to me. And I'm looking at this, somebody I never even hinted at that I had need. Never even hinted at it. And then also around that exact same time, we ended up getting a renter who wasn't just a renter. He ran his own construction company. And for the next few years that he rented, he kept repairing and fixing our condo and never charging us because he had his own construction crew. He was literally the best renter in the history of renters. <laughs> By the way, we went to Kansas City. And then the $24,000 ran out. I had still had no support. 
and then Brooke's travel agency collapsed. No, collapsed. And Brooke collapsed. <laughs> In fact, one of the checks she got for one of her corporate travel things bounced. And, and, and the, her, her, enti her entire little business, which had a little bit of money, now that fell through. And all of a sudden, I am facing not being able to pay electrical bills, rent, or be able to buy food at a grocery store. And we were sitting in our living room, and this is months later in Kansas City in front of a fireplace, and I am just so overwhelmed with anxiety again. And Brooke stands up, and Brooke is usually the one that has the faith. I get the complaining before God, she gets to believe God. And she just says, Lord, there's a storm around us. We feel like we're in a boat that's going to sink, but you're in the boat with us. You're going to calm the storm. Everything's going to be okay. The next day, we were going to this little class, an intro to International House of Prayer class, like a little internship. And we were, and, and we were not fundraising. We, were, we didn't tell. There wasn't another human being in Kansas City that we were talking about our money with. And, and the next morning, this lady walks up to us, whom I didn't know, and she said, can I pray for you? And we said, fine. She, she doesn't know. I don't even know her name. She puts her hand on her shoulders and she starts laughing. And I'm like, oh, she's kind of weird. But then she just starts laughing and she goes, oh, I thank you, God, how you care for these two. I said, they're in a, and she said, they're in a boat and they feel like they're going to sink. But she says, Jesus, you're in the boat with them. And then she said it kind of forcefully, Yahweh, which is the name for God. Yahweh is in the boat with you. And she said, Jesus, I thank you that you're going to calm the storm. The boat's not going to sink. Everything's going to be okay. It was exactly what Brooke had said the night before, and she didn't know that. And I got overwhelmed. God, you're going to take care of us. And for the next five years in Kansas City, I can, I, it's, just, it's stunning how the Lord brought money in. It's these verses that Jesus talked about. Stephen, where's Stephen? You want to come on up? The Lord wants to free us to step into what he has. Part of that is to help us to walk without anxiety and without worry. I forgot to tell you, when I was a during those weeks when I was, when we were moving to Kansas City, when I was so overwhelmed, by, I remember my hands were shaking in the car one day, and I had my hands on the steering wheel, and I, I felt like, I, I felt like, I'm and now in panic attack, and I'm, I, I've, I've been overwhelmed. There's nothing I can do now. And in that moment, of, I'm reminded of a Bible verse. I'm driving in my car, a Bible verse that I guess I had read sometime in the past. It was Psalm 55.22. Do you know what Psalm 55.22 says? Cast your cares or your anxieties upon the Lord, for he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. Cast your anxieties upon the Lord, for he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. Do you know what I did for the next few weeks before on the way to Kansas City? During those weeks... 
I, I, I got to a point where I was literally speaking that verse to myself almost sometimes every five minutes. I decided I need my thoughts to line up with the word of God, not to line up with Sam Cerny. And I would repeat that verse to me over, and the verse became like a lifeline. Cast your cares upon the Lord. He will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. I needed the verse to remind me of what God was doing with me. And I repeated it over and over and over and over and over and over again. I think that what, there's some person, one of you here has actually been experiencing headaches. I saw in worship, it was almost like a red band, like inflamed. And, and maybe they're stress-related, maybe they're not, but I felt like the Lord was going to deliver somebody from those really bad headaches or a headache that you've been having. And some of you, as I've been talking, the Lord has been pinpointing areas of anxiety. And what we do as a community is we gather around one another and we pray for one another and ask God to do what he already wants to do. So if you've been struggling, either in just one area of your life or maybe every area, with this issue of, of anxiety or worry, we want to come alongside with you and pray with you today. And, and literally with you, okay, God, let's lift that off of that person's shoulders. Let's, let's let God carry it now. So if, that is, if that's been one of you, I don't want to, you know, we're just a little family here, so it's all good. Just go ahead and stand up so we know who to pray for. Go ahead and stand up. Either in one area of your life or, or a large area of your life. Go ahead and stand up. And what we're going to do is the rest of us are, we're going to be the ministry team and we're going to gather around them. Um, has anybody been experiencing a, he a headache or headaches? That have, been, that have been hitting you? Is that you a shot? I've been having shots. Oh, you had one last night? So can, I want a couple of you to gather around a shot and pray um, for that. And, and, and pray for healing for that too. And that the Lord would deal with whatever even caused it. So, so let's just gather around one another. Holy Spirit, we just invite you in this room. I feel like you're going to be the father that, where it's your good pleasure to give the kingdom. It's your good pleasure to, to, to just show how in control you really are. A couple of guys gather. Can you come around Jamie too? A couple of people go pray for Jamie. Gather around them too. Now, Holy Spirit, let your power come. Let your care come. Show your control. Show your kingdom your control this morning. Just increase right now, Holy Spirit. This is the day it comes off of your shoulders and goes onto his shoulders. This is the morning that it goes onto his shoulders. Whether it's finances, family, health, Yes, Lord.